close shot from Renato Nunez. And lo and behold, the bullpen uh, also uh, was uh, foolproof. Yeah, night. Michael Gibbons came in. Paul had a really Fry, good, yeah. Paul Fry, Paul Gibbons, Fry, and, yeah. and Richard Blyer. Right, and uh, a couple of things about the first inning of that game last night. 46 minutes to play the whole first inning. There were a total of 90, 90 pitches. 90 pitches between the two sides, between Pomerantz and, and Kashner. And there's just no way you're looking at a, a pitch count of 46 after one, one inning. And 68 <clears throat> after two. Right. That You're thinking if he, you know. You're thinking three or four innings. Three or four innings. And, and he, he ended up gutting it out through five. And, you know, Bruce Bochy, the Hall of Famer to be, yep. uh, says in the, in the clubhouse after the game or in his office, he says, you know, give Andrew Kashner all the credit in the world because – he could have easily cashed it in, if you will, he said, and yet just a gutty, gutty effort. Yeah, folded, he could have folded up his tent, but he did hang in there. And, yep. uh, you know, I hear more and more things about him as a, a teammate that I'm sort of unaware of, but that he's the first guy whenever anybody does something good, hits a home run or scores a run, he's the first guy up there, you know. Good. Yeah. You find him to be a good clubhouse uh, guy. I've always found him to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know, uh, last night, uh, Brandon Hyde even said after the game just how tough as nails he is, yeah. and and you know, he says that was one of the guttier things I've seen. Yeah, it's amazing. You, though you look, it's the first of June now. His earned run average after last night is five oh six. It sure seems a six and two. Six and but two. But it sure yeah. seems like he's pitched much better most of the time. So yeah. I bet. I bet you take away two or three innings from him, his earned run average is probably a run lower, maybe even. A I would think more. so, yeah. And uh, but get, but give the Orioles a lot of credit. I mean, look, the one thing we know this is not a very good baseball team, but Ooh, the one, San Francisco Giants, uh, either one, but none, nonetheless, you know. Well, now San Francisco's twelve under five hundred, right, right? And the Orioles are, are are worse than that, obviously, but. We're, we're 21 under. Right. This team has showed a lot of moxie for me in terms of young guys being hungry, never giving up. And they fight back. They, yeah, they, they fight back. Fight. They and, do fight and back. there's something to be said for that when you're trying to build a culture. Right. When you want, to, when you want a team that's going to play, you know, the game the right way. And part of playing the game the right way may not always show up on the field in terms of fundamentals. But it certainly can in terms of attitude and what you can control, and they do a fairly good job with that. All right. This is the bat around. He's Craig Heist. I'm Stan the Fan. Joe Tressa of uh, MLB.com, who covers the Orioles, doing a super job replacing Brittany Giroli. Maybe doesn't look quite as good and they ship doing Brit it. And they <laughs> ship Brittany down the road to us. That's right. You know? And uh, But she's with the, the uh, Athletic. She's with the Athletic. She's not yeah, with yeah, MLB.com. Right, right. Joe Tressa uh, joins us at 1020. Then our very own uh, managing editor of Pressbox, Luke Jackson, is going to join us at around 1045. Uh, we'll dive into his cover story uh, for the month of May here at Pressbox. And that cover story is entitled The High Stakes of Number One. And we are ready uh, in uh, Monday. So it's, let's yeah. see, 24, 24 hours. We'll put it to 2048. About 60 hours from now, we're going to have that number one draft pick uh, in our midst. Well, no matter what they do with it. Yeah. And and there's obviously 
different ways of thinking about what the Orioles' main needs are. I, for one, think it should be pitching. And but this year, ironically, there's not a pitcher I considered un- I, in the top. I understand yeah. that. So, so from that standpoint, you know, you, you hear some names out there, but uh, the, you know, the bottom line for this team because they've got number one this year, they're more than likely going to have either one or two next year. I would say it's a fair bet to say I have one, two, or three next year. Right, but a good chance of being number one again. Right, yeah. you can't miss on these guys yeah. and. I, I just ra- harken back to '09 uh, with the Nationals, and you're looking at Strasburg in one draft. You're looking at Harper in the other draft. Yep. And uh, Rendon uh, was a nine A. It was it was a was a one A pick. He if was you a will. supplemental. He was, he was pick. a supplemental pick. He was yeah. like ninth or tenth that year. Right. Uh, so. From that standpoint, I mean, and and you can argue what you want, but that's pretty much been the 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 basis of this Nationals franchise over the course of the last ten years before Harper left to go to Philadelphia. What's especially exciting for me as an Oriole fan, okay, and as just a baseball fan and, and following this rebuild, though, I'm just as excited for what's going to come July the second when General Manager Mike Elias has said that. And he he made it clear yesterday in the scrum in the you weren't there in the in the dugout he did about fifteen yeah but minutes. I but I saw it okay I, yeah. he made it clear when I asked him about that and I wasn't expecting him to go yeah we're gonna get, get Jose Alvarez and this you know and uh, right you know whatever Julio Johnson or something like that I didn't expect him to give me names but I was asking sort of he's he's going on record as saying we're gonna have the biggest heist of no pun intended, yeah. the biggest uh, haul of international players in the history of the franchise. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get the number one or number eight player uh, internationally, but it sounds like there's going to be 10 or 12 players of some substance, you know, uh, at least. I think that's really exciting for an organization. If one or two of those come through, you know, three years down the road, that's something less you have to do somewhere else. Right, and there's no question about it. And, uh, you, you know, they've got more money to spend than than anybody else in the, in the international market, at least to this point. Right. Uh, now that's obviously... It resets every, again. It resets again, but, yeah. uh, again, hit, hit on these draft picks coming up, and, then, and especially number one, and then go from there. Just to give you some perspective, because I asked that question at Brandon Hyde's pregame presser yesterday. I finally made it to one of them at 410. Um, I asked him about that. Is that exciting to him, seeing what other organizations have done with the international picks? And he goes, well, he goes, it's interesting. In Chicago, we got Glaber Torres and Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. Now he goes, we use them to trade for the chips to win a World Series. But look at the two players you're talking about. You're talking about Glaber Torres, who single-handedly has probably cost the Orioles about four four losses this oh, year. Oh, yeah. And Eloy Jimenez, who before he took one at bat in the major leagues, Craig, had a $70, $80 million contract. Right. And and Torres, he, he when he left here the last series that the Yankees played here, he had 12, 13 home runs, and 10 of them were against the Orioles. So, I mean, y- your point is well taken. Yep. There, I'm so. excited as hell about uh, that. Well, I, really I think have. I think you should be, and, and we won't know. Like when they announce that, and I'm not trying to be racially insensitive that Julio, 
you know, Becker is signed from uh, Cuba or Venezuela or Nicaragua or uh, Puerto Rico, we won't know those names readily because they, they're not as well-known as Adlai Rutschman or Bobby Witt Jr. or Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn. <coughs> but one thing we know is with Kobe, um, is it P- Kobe Perez? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, who's the director of international scouting. He's well-connected in that world down there. And while I understand from some people that tell me that it takes two or three years from where the Orioles were to really get the trust down there, and that a lot of the best players, Craig, have been lined up for a couple months already for the July 2nd date. Well, I think obtaining some of that trust or earning that trust has to do with who's in charge now and that track record going back to their days with the Astros, you know, is, is certainly uh, head and shoulders above a lot of a lot of teams because we've seen what they've done with the Astros. I mean, here's a team that lost 100 two, three straight years, and then they turned around, and a couple of years later, they're in a World Series and winning it. All right, I just want to give a couple uh, shout-outs. I want to thank Brett Blum, who's in the other room there monitoring our uh, program, Uh, and he's liking it and sharing it and adding things uh, that we're going to do on the show. Uh, We welcome his input and help uh, on the social media side because at my age, Craig, I'm not a real good multitasker. At your age? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, at my age. I was going to say, was this different I, than any I, other time well, in your life? 30 or 40 <laughs> years ago, had I had there been Facebook Live or something, I might have gotten the hang of it a little bit okay. better. Also, running the board here today is Griffin Bass. Are you on camera? Uh, no, it's just Oh, okay. Talk okay. into the mic, though. You're, you're... Hello. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> How are you doing, Griffin? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good, good. How are you feeling? I feel, I feel good. All right. I feel good. Yeah. Griffin Bass was going to have his – actually, you were going to do the Ross Grimsley show, right? Uh, no, no, you were going to do this yeah, show. Yeah, I was going to do your show. He's, right. a friend, he's a friend of Gary Stein. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, now this explains <laughs> a lot. Explains, <laughs> explains why he's here. I knew his brother, too, by the way, Largemouth. <laughs> anyway. Very good. No relation to Marty Bass, though. No. Not uh, your no. uncle or anything no. like that. Yeah. You could claim that, and you might be able to get some money out of it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Griffin Bass is, is behind uh, the, the uh, board here and uh, running things. We only got through two of the guests. We mentioned Joe Tressa of MLB.com, covers the Orioles, will join us at 1020, which is about five minutes away. Luke Jackson, uh, our managing editor here at PressBox, who wrote the cover story, High Stakes of Number One. Is that on screen? Is that on screen? Yeah. High Stakes Number One. Then at 1120, Craig Heist was able to uh, get us a lockdown great guest, Mark Zuckerman of Masson. He covers the Nats. We'll find out uh, whether he thinks they can play their way back into things. I'll tell you, Craig, this was a series. I know the club probably was was looking forward and and knew that they had a tough series in Atlanta, and they went in Atlanta and swept. And you look up at the Reds and say, oh, we're playing the last-place club. The Reds have been playing pretty good baseball oh, over the last, starting oh, one and eight. Right. Over the last three weeks, they're they're playing real good baseball. Yeah, I, It won't surprise me if they become a factor. Uh, I think the balance in that division, uh, the National League Central, is really pretty intense from it, top to bottom. No week. There's no Miami Marlins in that right, division. Right. And then, you know, the Cubs and the Cardinals were having their, their, their you know, duel over the last yeah. two weeks, home and away. 
Uh, it is. It's a very tough division, uh, and and again, a lot of baseball to be played, and that's why I say in National League East, I still don't think anybody's going to run away with that uh, division. And now all of a sudden, the Phillies are out in L.A. And uh, you know, good news, I guess the Nats didn't lose any ground last night. So that's a good point. That's yeah, a good so. point. All right. Um, and they had, and they had won five or six going into that. They so. had won five out of six, which was uh, their. That's probably their best six that's game their, stretch of the of that's the season. Their high water mark, no yeah. question about it. What do you think? Uh, did you have it on uh, up in the uh, press box in Baltimore? Did you have it on? Were you watching? No, it? I was not. I, I got to watch a little bit of the rerun on Mass last what night. What was wrong with Corbin? <clears throat> I mean, he has not had a. He had one bad game, I think, against the Mets in New yeah. York. But this was awful. This was awful. Five run first inning. Uh, this was like Kevin Gosman almost. Kinda, yeah, sort of. Five run first inning and didn't really recover. Uh, had a chance to get out of it with only giving up two runs. Uh, but then there was a seeing eye hit. Uh, Puig doubled off the wall over the head of Soto. That scored a couple of runs. Uh, so from there, it was uh, you know the rest of the night, and and so you really can't blame the bullpen on this one. Most of the damage was done by Corbin, but you know during the course of 162, I think you can give him a pass on this one because he had given up. He didn't retire a batter before he had given up as many hits in that first inning as he had his whole last start, which was a complete game shutout. So, so at Oriole Park at Camden Yards tonight, it is David Hess for the Orioles, Sean Anderson for the uh, San Francisco Giants, and who's pitching in Cincinnati? Is this Tanner Rourke's game? Uh, you know what? I believe it is for, for the Reds. And, and who's going for the Nats? Is it Hellickson? Or? Uh, no, Hellickson's not back yet off it, the I.L. Is it Scherzer? Uh, no. Oh, it's uh, Eric, um, Eric Fetty. Eric Fetty, yeah. Fetty, okay. And then Scherzer pitches tomorrow, I think. Tomorrow, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Something else feature. to make mention of. Yes. Uh, home runs in the calendar month, there were more hit in May of this year than at any other time in Major League Baseball. 1,135. 1,135 home runs. Right. Okay. So Doesn't seem to matter. In fantasy, in fantasy baseball, I still seem to be in last every year. Well, home runs. But but you're consistent. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am a model and that, of consistency. that surpassed August of uh, 2017, two years right. ago, uh, 1,101. Wow. 1,100. How many are there this year? 1,135? 1,135 in the month of May, yeah. Okay, in the month of May. Mm-hmm. How many in April? Is there any mention uh, of that? No, well, no, because yeah. we're just into April. No, we're, no, we're not into April. We just got done with April. No, we just got done with May. I know, but I well, I mean, it's come and okay. gone. Uh, it's come and gone. Right. Okay, all right. So there weren't that many in March. There weren't. No, no, there's only two, three games played in March. Actually, there are more than that this year. You had oh, the, because you had the, the games in, in Japan. Japan, yeah. But then you had every team started like March 28th or something right. like that. Uh, we can make our contact now with Joe Tressa. Um, Griffin is really. He's really conscientious, he's mm-hmm. like asking me if, you know, he's asking me, is it time to Right, call well, he'll, he'll eventually get the idea that, that he just runs the show. <laughs> right. And from that standpoint, that's usually a better thing. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Anyway, Joe's going to join us in just a minute. Joe doing a very fine job, very different sensibility very different writer than uh, Brittany was right uh, more steeped in uh, a lot of the analytics stuff 
Uh, and he joins us right now is our friend Joe Tressa, uh, new friend amongst us here in Baltimore. Joe joins us. Uh, he's with MLB.com covering the Orioles. Joe, you're on with Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. How are you? Hey, hey guys. Good morning. Stan, are we going to talk beat poetry this morning? Are we going to talk some on the road? We could talk We could talk a little Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, <laughs> but we'd be way over Craig Heist's head. I don't, I don't like to do that to my co-host. No, the only thing the only thing I know about culture, Joe, is in the bottom of a yogurt jar. <laughs> Touché. All right, Touché. fair enough. We'll save it for another All day. All right, good enough. Hey, um, yeah. we're we're just a few days. Well, we're just two days away from uh, this uh, MLB draft, which the Orioles only for the second time in their history had the number one pick. Are you reading the tea leaves any which way to, to to have a real feel for which way Mike Elias and the Orioles are leaning right now? Um, to be honest, Dan, I, I don't I don't think anyone really knows for sure. I, um, I, I I think the best that we can do right now is kind of um, is kind of like you said, read the tea leaves and kind of try to like put this puzzle together backwards and and but but honestly i think if you read most mock drafts and everything like that um it's all really conjecture at this point um uh, everybody still has adley rutschman going number one right um but a lot of that is almost by default because michael Elias keeps things so close to the vest and that's kind of to be expected right that's how they operated um with the astros in in houston for for years and years when they had top overall picks um they, they've actually made a habit over there of not finalizing their number one pick decisions until until draft day. It sounds like that's going to happen again this year. Michael Elias basically said that yesterday. He said, we're not going to make a decision until Monday. So you can't really know what someone's decision is going to be until they've actually made it. And um, it sounds like the Orioles haven't yet. Um, and that's kind of by design. They, they want to get in a room and air it out with their entire cause. Uh, scouting staff, and they want to make sure that whoever they pick, whether it's Adley Rutschman or Bobby Wood Jr. or Andrew Vaughn, or maybe somewhere, you know, someone, someone else even, um, a little lower down, they want to make sure that's the right decision and right for them. I just wanted to ask you one question. It surprised me yesterday. Keith Law did a podcast with Buster Olney, and he said that he thought Rutschman and Vaughn were the two best clear-cut talents at the level they're at now, and then he said, then there's the next tier of three or four players after that. Do you have any sense how seriously the, the club views Vaughn, I guess, is the question? Well, the only thing I would say is that Andrew Vaughn is almost like scientifically created in a lab mm-hmm. for the type of analytical models that the Orioles will use. Right. Um, you know, if you look, he's a high he's a high power low strikeout impact bat and he's probably major league ready or at least close to it maybe in a year year and a half he's probably the closest to major league ready bat wise uh, in the entire draft right yeah but a lot, a lot of people ball. a lot of people yeah. think he's the best all-around hitter in the draft yeah yeah so a lot of people think he's the best hitter in the draft in several years so when I see Andrew Vaughn, I see the type of player that, that the Astros won the World Series with a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. If you remember, they kind of they kind of bucked the game a few years ago by by having a a, a, a team full of great hitters who never struck out. They yeah. had for a ton of power and they never struck out. And he's the kind of guy. If you go back and you read Moneyball, 
that 15 years ago wouldn't be a first-round draft pick, or mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't even be a Cal Berkeley, right. but he would be a guy whose numbers jumped off the page, and the A's and, and other analytic, analytically inclined teams would try to target in the later rounds as kind of a steal as somebody who they knew whose bat could play immediately, but someone who maybe had some other kicks against them. You know, he's not very big for a first baseman. He's a corner player, so these, these types of players typically didn't get picked in the first round. Now things have changed, right? Scouts and college programs and, and major league teams look at the game a little differently. A kid like that is at Cal, and he puts up incredible numbers. He's one of the best players in the country. Suddenly he's a phase of first-round draft pick. So in that sense, you know, I can really see them, the Orioles, loving him. You know, he, he is kind of like, he's kind of like engineered for the type of analytical models that they rely on. Um, and he does a lot of things that they can project with some serious certainty as him being able to do in the major leagues. Now, that's all that said, right? You're not just looking for a, a, a good first-round pick here. You're looking for a franchise cornerstone. And the reality is that switch-hitting catchers like Adley Rutschman, who can hit for average and hit for power, and high-ceiling shortstop prospects like Bobby Witt are just rarer. They just yeah. are. There, there are just less of them. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people have both of them higher on the Orioles draft board than Andrew Vaughn. But that doesn't mean that Andrew Vaughn, you know, his skills wouldn't play now and that they don't probably love what he brings to the table. Well, what scares me the most about Rutschman is the fact that we had another guy in this town named Matt Weeters who obviously came with a lot of a lot of hype. hype yep. And and yet his problem throughout his career was he was never able to stay healthy. And when he was healthy, I think early on in his career, you, you certainly saw the tools and, that made him that kind of a draft pick. But if, you know, and again, you can never count on what's going to happen injury-wise, but uh, uh, that's the only thing that scares me with that. You know, I think a lot of people are going to, if they take him, I think a lot of his, people are going to draw that comparison his, to Matt. His hit tool, and I know we're asking the question to Joe, but his hit tool was never what we were quite led to believe and, Joe, that brings me to – I want that answer to that question. But, you know, since Matt Wieters was drafted, we really have had the advent of the shift. Do you think that the shift plays into who they will pick? In other words, is is Rutschman a guy who can hit to all fields the way I sense Vaughn can? Um, according to the scanning reports, yeah. I, I, I don't think that they – look, I, I think that – all these guys at the top of the class, you know, their talents are transcendent enough to where, like, you know, they're they're up, they're kind of up there for a reason. Um, to get back to the to the Weeders comparison, you know, we, we're we're having this discussion pretty recently, and whether it, whether you compare him to Weeders or you compare him to Buster Posey or you compare him to Joe Maurer, um, you know, other 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 uh, catchers who have gone really really high and had pretty distinguished careers, you look at the ceiling for a catcher, and you look at the lifespan for a catcher in terms of how long they stay behind the plate and how much of an, for how long that they have an impact bat, right? And a lot of these guys by 30 are either not behind the plate anymore, mm-hmm. or they've been slowed by injuries, or their bats weren't what they used to. If you look at like a best case scenario in a Joe Maurer, Buster Posey type, you know, you look at their careers and, and you see three World Series, you see batting titles, but you also see not a lot of longevity, right? Yep. And I think it's fair for a catcher 
to to for, to to be concerned about that, especially when you're you're looking to draft a franchise cornerstone, cornerstone whose value you want to maximize for as long as you can, right? You want to build around someone like that. That's why I think there is some attraction um, in a shortstop like Bobby Witt Jr., who's younger, who you can project to be a middle-of-the-field player for a decade or more. You know, even if Adley Rutschman is a five-time also, four-time also, like Matt Wieters or more so, an eight-time also, or, 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 or whatever whatever it might be, even if he's a future Hall of Famer, he could not be behind the plate, you know, in less than 10 years. That's just what happens to catchers. So I think it's something you, that you ought to definitely have to consider, and I think it's a legitimate concern. Anybody else? Uh, one of the things that Stan was uh, talking about after we get through with the draft is, you know, the international market, and we heard Michael Elias say that's probably the most interesting or maybe the one thing he's more excited about than anything else. How do you see that going, uh, and, and what are you hearing about that coming up? Uh, because obviously they've got more money than anybody else right now in that international market, uh, and then obviously later it resets. But uh, what, do you, what do you think they're trying to do here? Yeah, well, I, I kind of see this as more of a long-term play. Um, I know Elias had said recently that it's going to be the biggest international class um, that the Orioles have ever had, and, and that's probably going to be true just because of how little yeah. uh, they engaged in that market in the past. Um, but when it comes to these types of players, and Elias has told, you know, told me this many times, he says it on the record all the time, um, a lot of these teenagers are kind of spoken for two or three years uh, in advance, right? There's a lot of advance work that goes in. They have under-the-table agreements with other teams, um, from the time they're 14, 15 years old, then they sign when they're 16, 17. Technically, um, you know, at, 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 around this time, but really the, the, the agreements and the scouting, all that's happened years in the past. Um, so what I think with the Orioles now, they're getting this their operation in Latin America off the ground. Right. Um, they're also a really good start. I've had people tell me that they've seen more uh, Orioles scouts at uh, showcases in the Dominican Republic than they've seen at any point in the last 10 years this spring. Now, that's, that's positive. That's, that's a good sign. But does that mean that they're going to compete with the Yankees and, and some of these other teams and, and the Red Sox that compete uh, at the top of this market right away? Probably not, just because all the, the top-level players who are going to get the most money this summer, all those deals have already been struck, right? So I think that they're going to use the international bonus money that they have left um, and sign a bunch of players to kind of replenish their system a little bit. I don't know if you're going to see the top-tier level player um, signed by the Orioles this year, and there's a clear you know, line of demarcation between who these top prospects are and who the ones who mostly fill out rosters are. But, you know, that doesn't mean that they won't be in play for those kind of guys two or three years down the road. Um, hiring Kobe Perez from the Indians this, this winter to be their head of international scouting, um, Major, major pickup. He's got a lot of pedigree in Latin America, a lot of experience, a lot of contacts. Uh, and those are the kind of things that really rule down there. And that was definitely a step in the right direction. They'll continue to go in that direction, but they have a long way to go catch-up-wise to compete with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, with all these other teams that invest have invested so heavily in Latin America for years. Sure. And I don't think you're going to see the fruits of that in terms of top, top-level talent at least for a few more summers. Yeah, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think you'll get the top-tier talent for a couple more years, but I think when you put maybe 10 or 12 
young, raw Latin American players into a system, be they arms or position players. I think you, you never know when you're dealing with 16, 17-year-olds how they're going to be when they're 19 or 20. I mean, Jonathan Scope, his body, it was remarkable the difference between when we first saw him in spring training and then two years later it was like a boy versus a man. Totally, totally. And, and you always have, you know, kind of those, those kinds of growth spurts and, and you can never totally predict um, what, what a kid is going to look like five or six years down the road, right? But at the same time, the top-level talent, um, the, the, the guys that the Yankees pour six-figure bonuses in and compete with the, with the Red Sox for, um, most of those guys tend to, tend to be the guy that they think they're going to be, right? Like a Gary Sanchez yeah. or a Luis Severino or a yeah. Domingo Herman, those, those types of guys. Um, but so it was that, in, that, that's all I'm saying. It was also interesting, though, when I asked Brandon Hyde that question, he re- was reminded of the fact that when he was with the Cubs, he saw Glaber Torres and Eloy Jimenez when they yeah. were first drafted by the Cubs. Ultimately, both were used as trade chips to get them that World Series, but it, it was interesting to hear that. Uh, totally, just, totally, and these guys have value, right? And that, that's why Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias have been saying all along yep. they're just trying to infuse the system with as much talent, and by that they mean as many assets as they possibly can, because then you can do a lot of things. If you you can you can use them on the trade market, um, you can see if they grow into from prospects into players. You can um, you, you can do a lot of things to kind of manipulate your roster. This Sam, this roster is going to look so different just oh, in two God. months than it yeah. is now. Yeah. And then in two yes, years, it it's going to be have a complete oh. facelift. Hey, I just wanted to be clear because Craig alluded to the fact that the Orioles have uh, thinks they have more money than anybody else. And then you use the phrase, well, I don't think they're going to use all that money up or right. whatever. On July, and tell me if I'm wrong, Joe, they had money in 2018 to 19. It resets on July 2nd each year. Is that correct? So the money you had in that pool just goes away. It's not like added onto your pool in 2019. You zero out, and then on July the second, you start back up with eight or nine million dollars, or whatever the number is. Correct. And what what it actually is is it's not it's not actual dollars and cents. It's more of the right to spend. Yeah, exactly. Enough money, right? And so what the Orioles did was they they boosted their bonus pool with all those trades last summer, right, for Kevin Gossman and, right. and, and, and some other players. Um, they acquired all this right to spend all this money, and they and the idea was that they would target uh, those three big Cuban prospects, right, and Victor Victor Mesa, right, Victor, right. Uh, his brother, and Sandy Gaston. They lost out on all those prospects, and then they had just a bundle of, of international bonus money. To, they, had, uh, they had about $7.5 million as of the winter meetings, um, and, no, and, nobody and, and, and nobody to spend it on And nobody to spend it on And he knew he wasn't going to spend it all, so he used it in other areas, right? They used it. They used some of it to trade for Keon Broxton, for Dwight Smith, for uh, to acquire some minor league depth. Uh, they're probably going to use uh, at least some of what they had left to, to, to make some international signings on the lower end also. Yeah. It resets. The international signing period ends on June fifteenth. Okay, and then there's a two week grace period, and then all the money resets on January uh, July second. Yeah, I think people were totally confused with the Keon Broxton deal because the money the Mets got in that deal was money for the up until used up until June fifteenth, and there was nobody really to sign, was there? 
Well, what teams do when they acquire international bonus money this late in the game yeah. is they really use it to fill out their Dominican summer league. Okay. You know, they, they use it to sign guys who um, that you kind of need to, to fill out a system. Right. But we, but people like us don't really hear about. It. All right. And that the, and those players have value to a club. It's just it's just it's just people they need. Joe, let me ask you this: as far as the 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 current club. And what they're trying yeah, to do let's... as far as development is concerned. Last night, after uh, a 90-pitch first inning by both teams, if you'd have told me Andrew Kashner was going to get through five innings in that game, I told you you were nuts. <laughs> and yet, uh, Bruce Bochy said in his post-game comments that that might have been one of the guttier pitching efforts he's seen in a long, long time after he faced ten guys in the first inning and gave up the five runs. And, of course, we know the Orioles answered that with six in the bottom of the inning. But just the makeup of Andrew Kashner and kind of what he's bringing to this team in terms of attitude and maybe rubbing off a, a few things on that he's learned down through the years on some of these younger guys. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's been a veteran presence in the rotation, and that definitely brings some value. Um Look, he uh, he really enjoys that role, right? Of being of being a, a, a big voice in the clubhouse and uh, being a guy that that a, a young rotation, a young staff can kind of look up to and rely on, um, especially you know, off the field. But but really, where they need him is on the field. Um, and you know, he, he's been one of their better pitchers up until a few you know these, these last few starts. Um, talk about assets, I think. I think he's a guy that, especially if he can, if he pitches, if he turns things around a little bit, pitches a little better, like he was maybe in early May and late April, uh, he's a guy that could fetch some value on the trade market later this summer, just because uh, he's throwing harder than he has in years. He's striking out more hitters than he has in years, last night notwithstanding, um, and he can help a contender whether it's in the rotation or the bullpen. Um, the Orioles don't have a lot of arms like that that they can shop. And uh, he's probably not going to reach the innings necessary for his for his uh, 2020 option to automatically vest. Right. And so, you know, he's a guy who I can definitely see pitching for a contender later, you know, down the stretch run. What about the, the, the story that surfaced about eight, nine days ago where he came out and said, boy, if I'm traded, I'm, I'm probably just going to quit. You know that's that's interesting. Um, I heard some rumors that he was pondering retirement earlier this spring, also. Right. And you know, that's kind of Andrew Cashman's personality, right? Yeah. He, look, he technically doesn't have ten and five rights, so he right. can't legally nix a deal. Right. Uh, he can't say no, I'm not going, like like what Adam Jones did last year. But uh, you know, for a guy who's so about the Orioles, right, and loves this role as like a clubhouse leader and right. someone that this team can rely on, if if the Orioles want to trade him and that brings value back to the organization and he instead goes home and sits on the couch uh, and, and, and doesn't pitch for it in a place he doesn't want to for six weeks, um, you know, that kind of doesn't vibe with the image that he's kind yeah. of building right now. So yeah. I, I wonder how much, you know, how much of that is bark and how much of that is bite. Um, but I guess, I, I guess we'll just see how it plays out. You're, uh, we're, you know, we're 50-some games into this thing now, uh, and you, you spent spring training with him. Your impressions of Brandon Hyde and how he is handling the job? Yeah, I think Brandon Hyde is refreshingly accountable, honest, um, genuinely interested in helping build this team. Um, you know, pretty smart baseball guy. Um, I, I do think that, 
the job is a little more difficult than he than he already than, than he originally envisioned. Right. Sure. I think that the losing um, has has you know frustrated him a little bit, as it has you know as it kind of would anybody. Uh, that said, you know he's really handled all of it with with the plum and. Um, that's not easy to do for a first-year manager when you're learning a new city, a new organization. Uh, you're learning how to handle the media every day for the first time. Um, look, I think he's, from day one, he's been accountable. He's been honest. Um, he's been upfront about a lot of things, and I think that has made him very easy to work with from, my, from our perspective. Um, and from a player's perspective, they really like the kind of easygoing, uh, nature that he brings to the clubhouse. They like his upbeat personality. He's been relentlessly positive, um, in, you know, in, in the face of in the face of a lot of losing, and that's not easy to do. Um, he's clearly uh, he clearly knows what it's like to see something like this all the way through, and I frankly think it's very admirable for somebody who wants to come do it again and build yeah. it from the ground floor. Um, you know, he remembers winning with the Cubs. He likes winning. And he really, really wants to win. And I think it's important when you're at this point in the rebuild to have a guy like that in the trenches who can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's a little far away. You know, one of the things he he must have seen, too, though, in working in Chicago is that when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer started in Chicago, they picked out their manager, and his name was Dale Sveim. And after, I think it was just one year, they said, wow, this isn't the guy for this rebuild. Uh, we're going to get Rich Renteria. He's the perfect guy. And then I think either one or two years later, Joe Madden became available, and suddenly Rich Renteria wasn't that attractive. Do you see Brandon Hyde as someone who can make it through the tough times and come out the other end and reap what he's planted, so to speak? I do, and it's for a few reasons, right? Um I kind of look at it this way. There, you know, every team drafts and develops players that they start out in the minor leagues and that they hope one day kind of take the reins at the major league level and then you build around. What we're seeing in the majors now is a, is a small but emerging trend of teams who are doing the same thing with managers. Mm-hmm. Right? You look at what the Rays did with Kevin Cash, um, who replaced Joe Madden in Tampa Bay. Kevin Cash was 40 years old. He'd never managed before. Right. The idea was he's going to develop with this young team at the big league level so that when we're good, he's going to be a good manager. Mm-hmm. right? And you see this year, the rates are good. And Kevin Cash is a good manager. Yeah. And I kind of see Brandon Hyde in that vein a little bit. He's, he's around the same age. He was 45 when he got the job. He'd seen winning before. Um, it was his first year as a, you know, his first tenure anywhere managing. Um, and they knew that the next two, three, maybe four years were going to be development themes, right? So why not go in with the mindset thinking, we're not only going to develop players at this level, but we're going to develop a manager as well. And I think that's the kind of progress that we, it would be, it would be intelligent for us to track and see how Brandon Hyde develops. And maybe when they're good in a few years, you know, he's, he's, he, he has more experience than he would having, you know, managed a, a, a really good team right off the bat because he's kind of been through the, the horrors and, 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 and come out the other side. So that's kind of how I see it. Uh, he's younger. 
than those guys in Chicago were. Yep. He's less experienced than those guys in Chicago were. He's more of a de- he has a development themed resume. Um, he's just a different mold. We're talking. Um, Go ahead. And so that's why I think he's probably in for the long haul. We're talking with Joe Tressa, MLB.com. Joe, before I let you go, I got to ask you the the question about the 8,000-pound elephant in the room. Um, DJ Stort was having a remarkable last 30 days or so down at uh, AAA Norfolk, and his combined work this year was 300-plus batting average, more walks than strikeouts, on-base percentage of 425, little more power than he'd ever shown. Uh, he had to have a place to play. Um, at the same time, Chris Davis, who battled back mightily from uh, the slump of uh, 2017 and 18 and the first 35 at-bats this year, had a nice 55-at-bat run and then fell apart again. Um, the, the combination of DJ needing a, a place to play at the big league level and Chris Davis is um, again repeating the problems he had earlier – can you see this thing coming to an end with Chris Davis? I kind of see it more working out at this point. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I kind of think we're still early in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, um, it, is it a roster puzzle? Is it a bit of a crunch? Yeah. Um, is it that drastic? I kind of don't think so. Um, I mean, the Orioles have been playing with a short bench all year, right? They, they could. As a simple solution, they could play with a, an eight-man pen, or a, a seven-man bullpen for a while. Right. Um, there could be another injury. Um, you know, I think that it's more more of a question of what happens when Trumbo, Mark Trumbo, and Chris Davis are both healthy, right. both ready to be on this roster. Then what do you do? Then you have a little bit more of a, a dilemma because it's two guys, two spots are being taken up, and frankly, you have players. In Renato Nunez at DH, Trey Mancini at first base, Dwight Smith Jr. in left field for the most part, and now DJ Stewart in right, who you want to see play every day and who are performing. Um, look, Trumbo is going to be reevaluated in mid June. Right. There's no guarantee that he comes back after that. You know, there's no guarantee that he gets through the rehab assignment healthy and ready. Um, with Davis. They'll probably wait a little longer, maybe even send him on a rehab assignment. Yeah, it's, um, they, they can elongate this thing, and they can slow play it. And some of it um, has I think to, that's what they'll do. Some of it has to do with how DJ Stewart performs. If he pushes Absolutely. them if he pushes right. them to have to make a decision, uh, we really appreciate your coming on, Joe. We'll see you at yeah. the, we'll see you at the right. ballpark. And, uh, right, thanks really so ha- much. We're really happy you're part of the Baltimore media contingent, my friend. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Can we All do right. it again sometime? All right. We have breaking news. Yes. And this is important. Okay. Ryan Powell has sent me a tweet yeah. that says that wanted both of us to know that Glenn Clark finished the Baltimore 10-miler in 2 hours, 21 minutes, and 39 seconds. That is breaking news. That's breaking news. Now, the other part of this story that hasn't been told yet is Glenn Glenn will be calling out sick Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. (laughs) All right. Well, congratulations. Uh, Those knuckleheads with their bets, these young guys with their bets. That's right. You You and I will – let's make a deal right now. We will never have a bet that calls upon one of us. Any kind of physical activity. No, it's going to be about eating and paying for (laughs) meals. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Live Casino Hotel has another great concert on the schedule. Get tickets now to see Boz Skaggs out of the blue tour on Friday, June 28th. Tickets start at $45 and include $10 in free slots play. Go to Live Casino Hotel now, livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets. Bo- and Craig. Boz Skaggs, a little lowdown. Uh, he's he's the man, Boz mm-hmm. Skaggs. It's time for us to talk about one of our favorite places. And that's the Costas Inn at 4100 right. North Point Boulevard in uh, Dundalk. And, uh, you know, some great things happening over there, uh, especially. Monday night is ribs night. Mo- well, no, no, Monday night is not ribs night. It's crab cake night. It's crab cake night. You've, Tuesday ar- you've night. already blown the spot. Tuesday night. <laughs> let, let me handle it All from right. here on. Go ahead. You, you handle it. Monday night is crab cake night. Tuesday I is ribs night. I could have told you that. Well, yeah. That's right. You tried to. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday is ribs night, Wednesday is steak night, mm, and Thursday mm. is lobster night. There's specials on the menu uh, seven days a week that you can choose from. And, of course, it's the home for uh, the best crabs uh, in Baltimore, the famous crab cakes, which you can get shipped anywhere in the country. Just give them a call. Ask for Petrie and Tafalos, and uh, he'll make sure that gets done for you. So, in other words, if they call and ask for Nick, you're not so sure it'll get done? Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you, might, you might get a good bet line. <laughs> <laughs> the number at the cost is in 410-477-1975. Around here, there are two kinds of chicken. Royal Farms' world-famous chicken and everything else. What's the difference? Royal Farms' chicken is always fresh, never frozen. It's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices and cooked on the spot right in the store. Chicken from anywhere else? Who knows? Hungry for some hot and delicious chicken? Get some Royal Farms' world-famous chicken. It's one of a kind. And don't forget the Western fries. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Listen up, moms and dads. All season long at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, kids cheer free. For each regularly priced Upper Deck ticket, adults can get up to two additional tickets for kids ages 9 and under absolutely free. Oriole Park is the perfect place with fun for the whole family. Plus, enjoy smaller portion, budget-friendly concessions perfect for youngsters. And don't forget, you can pack your own picnic and bring it to the park. Kids ages 9 and under are free all season long. Be part of Orioles baseball. Visit Orioles.com slash kids free to learn more. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home plate at Camden Yards. Sliders Bar and Grill at 504 Washington Boulevard, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for every season. This is the perfect time to book your private party or take the office to lunch. Feeding clients? Take them to Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar, Sliders, for great food and drinks with some local atmosphere. You can book your private event on the second floor or on the outside patio, both overlooking the best stadium in baseball. See all of Sliders' daily specials or book your party at slidersbaltimore.com. Sliders, Baltimore's neighborhood sports bar. Visit them today. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. 
As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down, introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hand-spun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at Our Chick-fil-A. Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the bottom of our son in Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com, on SoundCloud or iTunes. All right, we are back. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist. Uh, we are your bat around team. And uh, joining us right now, do we have him? is uh, our managing editor here at PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, someone doing a terrific job. And we've been very fortunate to have uh, hit on four out of five um, editors uh, here at PressBox. I won't mention who we didn't hit on, but uh, we've got Luke Jackson on the phone right now. Luke, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Sid. Uh, Pleasure to have you on. Uh, You've been getting a little bit of press uh, this past week or so, and we hope to have you on Masson on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report on Monday, I hope. But uh, you wrote the cover story. Uh, it's standing up well because you didn't, you didn't go down that direction of making a prediction. Uh, tell us a little bit about the story, the high stakes of number one. So, yeah. Uh, so when we were thinking about what we wanted to do for our May issue, we wanted to do something Orioles-related, but we wanted to do something related to the future of the Orioles. And when we put all of our brains together, so to speak, we came up with the idea to do something uh, regarding a preview uh, for the June draft with the Orioles having the number one pick uh, for the first time in 30 years. Uh, Ben McDonald was uh, selected in uh, 1989, and uh, I ended up uh, taking on the, uh, the cover story and Really, when I was talking to Glenn Clark about this story, uh, who's one of our colleagues, one of the things he, that he impressed upon me excuse was me for that one, excuse this, me, Luke, excuse me for one second. By the way, we did get the news that Glenn made it through the 10K. Oh, congratulations! Two hours, two hours, two hours, and two hours, twenty-one minutes, thirty-nine seconds. Yeah, the thirty-nine seconds is very important. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Especially if there so, was, especially if there was food uh, involved on the back end of it. Right. So go ahead. 
I hope for his sake that uh, that, that there was because uh, he deserves <laughs> some sort of reward for getting through that. Uh, but anyway, one of the things that he really impressed upon me was that this player was going to be the face of the rebuild, face of the franchise, perhaps the moment that he's picked. And he said that this is a very unique situation. And so that's one of the things that I, I decided to focus on. And then when I was talking to uh, you, Stan, one of the things that you mentioned was that, uh, you know, maybe I could talk to some former GMs about the process of picking number one. And, and so uh, I ended up talking to uh, Dan O'Dowd and Jim Duquette uh, about that. And then one of the things that I wanted to do personally was uh, talk to Ben McDonald. I, I didn't think that I could do the story without talking to Ben. So I talked to him. He was great. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't fit in more from Ben yep. uh, because it, it, there was just so much to get to. And then the other thing that I wanted to do was uh, to talk to people who knew uh, the, the guys that they could pick. So I ended up talking to uh, coaches and, and former teammates of the three players that looks like they look like the uh, the main guys that they could be considering right now, and that would be Rochman, Witt, and Vaughn. So that's kind of how it came together, um, and, and I, I thought it uh, turned out pretty well. I brought up this to Stan uh, in the last segment, and that's uh, with the catcher. Just kind of reminds me too much of the Matt Weider scenario, and where you know what the talent level is, you hear about it, and then it doesn't come to fruition up here at the big league level. Now that said, Matt had a lot of injury issues, uh, which which slowed him down. But when he was healthy, a very productive player. But I think Stan brings up a good point, and that's that. From an offensive standpoint, I don't think we ever really saw what we were told yeah. or led to believe. Right, right. And I think one of the things that with Weeders was that he was a, it, it was almost like a high, really, really high floor player at Georgia Tech. It was almost like his junior year at Georgia Tech, he he almost like was a major league player. He almost right. was a major league hitter. And then he when he got to double A and he hit three sixty at Bowie or whatever it was, it was almost like he was a major league player at that point. But there wasn't a t- maybe there wasn't a ton of growth left, meaning that there wasn't like what he was at Bowie was the same like hitter that he was uh, in Baltimore a few years later. It's just it, but there wasn't a ton of growth left there. So that the three sixty hitter in Bowie turned out to be like a 60 hitter in Baltimore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was almost like he was that, always that high floor guy at Georgia Tech. That being said, like you mentioned, he was well on his way to having a really, really, and he did have a really, really, really productive uh, career with the Orioles, but he was on his way to having an even more productive career with the Orioles until he got the Tommy John surgery. Yeah. And I think that really set him back with, um, in his career. He's, he ended up still making a, a lot of money in his career. He still had a productive uh, career for a few teams, and he's and he's having a pretty good year for the and Cardinals right now. But you're right in that the uh, scouting report is, is pretty similar uh, with Rutschman. I think Rutschman is considered a better receiver um, in college, and I think uh, Rutschman is considered a little better hitter uh, for both sides of the plate. So Rutschman is considered the better prospect. Rutschman is probably the best catching prospect out of the drafts since Buster Posey in 2008. Um, and so – yeah, but the, the comparisons are obvious because, I, I mean, switch hitting college catchers uh, with power from both sides of the plate who can defend, I mean, those guys don't come along very often. You know, one of the things that hit me, and it's not something I've paid attention to all along, is one of the things that failed, happened in the failings of Matt Wieters is he came into the game, remember, at the minor leagues, they weren't doing any shifting at all until very recently, 
and I think Matt Weider's career collided with the shift, and he was maybe perhaps one of the most perfect players uh, to shift. There, there was never a ground ball he couldn't hit into that, that spot between second and first that suddenly was covered by a shifted infielder. So and yeah, and the other thing about that is that it's not like he was going to beat out any infield hits. No, what I mean, no. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Matt had a, a very nice run here in Baltimore, and and you just wish that um, he didn't have the injury issues he had in 2014 because he was, he was well on his way to having a, maybe his best the best year of his career in 2014, and who knows what kind of help he would have been to that 2014 team that went on to win 96 games if they, if that team had had Weeders and, and Machado and Davis. Um, you know, who knows what they could have done. Uh, I, I thought that in, in that year, for much of that year, they, they were the best team in baseball. But once they got into the playoffs, they just – they missed those guys. And, and I just – that, that's a big what if to, to me is what if those guys were there? What could they have done in the playoffs? But uh, that's neither here nor there at this point. Well, now you gave us the choices. Which way do you think, having done all this research for this for the cover story, which, uh, which way do you think this club might lean? It's, and the reason I, I, the reason I, I ask it is because I told Stan I said, you know, you're going to have number one this year. You're more than likely going to have one, two, or three next year. You can't miss on these if you're the Orioles. Right, right. And, and the funny thing about that is that with, with Elias's last team, they actually did miss on a couple. Of course, they ended up having a do-over on one of them, and they ended up getting Alex Bregman, and and Bregman and Correa ended up being. Uh, big cogs to uh, their World Series team. So, uh, so but of the three guys that that I mentioned, the uh, first baseman out of Cal, Andrew Vaughn, who's probably the best hitter in the draft, college or high school. Uh, Adley Rutschman, switch hitting catcher out of uh, Oregon State, who actually uh, was uh, walked intentionally with the bases loaded last night. And um, Bobby Witt, the uh, Texas uh, high school shortstop uh, whose dad pitched in the big leagues for 16 years. Honestly, I don't think the Orioles can, can necessarily go wrong with any of those guys. Um, it's just a matter of, again, who do they think the best player is? And we don't know what they know. Um, you know, from, if you read what Baseball America says, they'll say that Rutschman is the best draft prospect since Bryce Harper. If you hear what other people say, they'll say he's just up right up there with Guys like Casey Mize last year, Byron Buxton a few years ago. So in terms of what direction the Orioles will go, I will say this. And uh, Rutschman provide really unique skill sets that are hard to find. Bobby Witt is a polished high school shortstop with five tools at the major league level. And like we were talking about with Rutschman before, catcher with power, those guys don't come along very often. Uh and then on, he, he has the sort of natural hitting ability that you just don't find at the top of every draft. And that he has a track record of hitting in the Pac-12, which is a tough conference to hit in. He's hit, I think it was more than 50 home runs with Cal throughout his three years. So he has three special talents up top. If if you had to, I, I, I'll, I'll guess that they'll take Rutschman, but that's not a confident guess at all. That's just That's just a guess. One of the things that's uh, very interesting is you played for me yesterday, Buster Olney's podcast, where he interviewed Keith Law, uh, by most accounts, one of the top evaluators. Uh, 
And he was raving about and basically saying that Rutschman and Vaughn were one and two in his book. And right. then Witt and a couple of the Abrams and another player were in a second tier. Uh, he didn't sound shocked. Uh, he didn't sound like he would be shocked if the Orioles picked Vaughn. And then we had Joe Tresso on from MLB.com. And he says that Vaughn, while he still thinks they're going to take Rutschman, he, he feels that Vaughn is sort of an Astro-like perfect player, a guy who doesn't strike out much and has a great hit tool. Right, right. His approach is silly good. Uh, it's a very advanced approach, and he's got power to all fields. The swing is fantastic. He's a guy that could uh, be the best hitter in Bowie's lineup today. Right. Uh, not next year, today. Uh, that's how sort of advanced he is, and, and that and that brings up another point that I think uh, you, Stan, have, have brought up to me, that this Orioles team isn't particularly close to competing. Uh, does it make more sense to go for a younger guy rather than someone like Vaughn, who is pretty much going to be ready within a year that, you know, at this time next year, you could reasonably argue that he'll, he'll be ready for the major leagues. And it's not like you can make uh, too many excuses for him to stay down in the minor leagues if he's ready, considering that he's a first baseman. So you can't say that, oh, he's got to do this, he's got to work on his defense, things like that. Things like you could say with, with Rutschman because he's a catcher, you could you know invent reasons for him to stay down. It'll be a little harder to do that with Vaughn. But with that being said, I, Vaughn is such a special hitter that uh, it almost it, for whoever whichever team takes him it, it almost doesn't matter because again I, you're looking at a guy that has a chance to stay in the middle of a big league lineup for like ten years I mean that's the kind of hit tool and power that you're talking about with Vaughn it's just that he's a first baseman and when you're picking one one that's not it's typically not the profile that you're looking for because he's a right right first baseman who's depending on what you're looking at he's a five ten five eleven six foot. Um, when you're thinking about like a 5'11 right, right first baseman, you're really thinking about someone like Christian Walker. Um, so that's not. Well, typically... you're also thinking of somebody like Steve Garvey. Steve so, Garvey. Yeah, that's not typically the profile that you're thinking about for 1 1. You're thinking right. more about the unique skill sets of a, of a Rutschman or a Witt. Uh, but with that being said, I, you know, the more and more I think about it, I don't know if there's a wrong answer here at 1-1. Yeah. Uh, you just hope that the Orioles take the best guy, and um, you, you just you just have to hope that you know, Elias, and it'll be his decision. It'll be yeah. Mike's decision, He's got and he's got plenty of experience at this, uh, that he ends up choosing the right guy, but we won't know that for a little while. Hey, two, two real quick things from me. Number one, I think it's important in reading some of the comments we're getting um, on Facebook. Uh, on, on our Facebook Live uh, account of the show, is Adlai Rutschman, let's be clear, he's also, we didn't use this term, Matt, in discussing him versus Weeders. He's a much better all-around athlete. Uh, he runs better uh, and is uh, probably more, much more athletic than Weeders. Right. Uh, Rutschman was, uh, he played football in high school, and he was actually the uh, kickoff specialist for Oregon State right. um, his freshman year. Uh, and that's and he gave up football after his freshman year, and that's when he exploded as a sophomore um, with the Oregon State's baseball team because he became a full-time baseball player at that point, and that's when he really took off, and that's when he really became a prospect to, uh, to go uh, number one overall in the draft. And there's actually a story out there that his freshman year at Oregon State when he was playing football, he actually chased down Christian McCaffrey on a uh, kickoff. So... 
Uh, I mean, yeah, he's he's a pretty solid athlete um, back there at catcher, and and when he when he runs, it's yeah, it's it's still below average speed, but it's not like crazy below average speed like Matt Wieters. And my other last question for you is, I I pointed it out to you, but I think it'd be interesting for our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live to hear the difference today between the number one pick overall versus Ben McDonald's number one status. How different the slotting makes the likelihood that the player gets signed and gets to work rather quickly versus what happened with Ben McDonald. Right, right. And so I, I talked about this with Ben, and he actually said that he thinks it would be easier to be 1-1 today than it was to be 1-1 back in 1989 when, when he accomplished the feat. And there were really two big reasons that he, he brought up. Number one, the one that you just brought up about the slotting. Basically, so the Orioles have the number one pick this year, and the slot for that is about $8.4 million. Uh, and last year's number one pick, Casey Mize, got seven and a half. So I would expect that whoever the Orioles take number one, say they take Rutschman, I would expect Rutschman to get around seven, the seven and a half million that Casey Mize got last year from the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, a pitching prospect for them. He's got a chance to be a top of the rotation starter. So I would expect uh, Rutschman to get something like that. And if it isn't seven and a half, it'll be a little bit more, a little bit less. You pretty much know what these guys are going to get, unless, like the Astros did before, uh, you, they cut a deal and it, with uh, Carlos Correa, and it was a little bit of a surprise. And, but you pretty much know what these guys are going to get. When Ben McDonald, 30 years ago, was drafted, you didn't necessarily know what they were going to get. And what ended up happening is that Scott Boris, decided, his agent, decided that it was time to that uh, an amateur gets a major league uh, contract, and he ended up getting the, the major league contract for, uh, for for McDonald. But you could do that back then; like there yeah. was no there was no real slotting system. There was no there was no hard slots. There was no soft slots but, like there is today. And and so Ben was talking about how when he signed a major league contract and it was unprecedented at that point, that added a little pressure for him. And the other thing. Uh, that he talked about was the social media aspect. Right. So we've known about Bobby Witt for years at this point. He's been on the 2019 radar for years. We've known about uh, Adley Rutschman since his sophomore year of college. So that was last year when he exploded onto the scene. And like I, I said before, uh, Andrew, uh, yeah, Andrew Vaughn has been an historic hitter at Cal for the past three years. So we've known about these guys for a while these guys have been on the 2019 radar for a while there are new mysteries with these guys when ben mcdonald in 1989 was coming into the draft there was almost like this folkloric aspect of his amateur career where he had done so much at lsu and he had done so much with the national team that at the time it was almost like he was considered like one of the best amateur pitchers ever, but no one had really seen him pitch, so to speak. Like no one had known a ton about him as far as what he, what he would do on the mound. Um, and so there's less mystery uh, today uh, with social media. And, and these guys' games are, are televised on Pac-12 Network, SEC Network, whatever it is, um, pretty much every weekend. So there's it, just less mystery with these guys, uh, and fans know them. And, and maybe there's more realistic expectations now. I'm not sure. So, um, but yeah, those are the two big reasons that Ben brought up, which I thought was interesting. Luke, it's just so amazing 
what the difference in drafting now is as opposed to when Ben came up and what analytics has done to all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. So uh, one of the things that uh, Jim Duquette and uh, uh, Dan O'Dowd talked to me about was really the explosion of analytics in the past, I would say, five years. But it, it, with, like, TrackMan uh, systems and, and, and the TrackMan systems uh, measure a batted ball's exit velocity, uh, it measures like a spin rate of a, a pitcher's a thrown ball. And, and when you have that at the amateur level, and those TrackMan systems are in college ballparks around the, around the country, especially uh, places uh, like conferences like the SEC and Pac-12, uh, they've got them. And so teams can measure those, can, can get those numbers, and they can sort of evaluate what kind of chance that player, based on his analytics, might have to, to become an impact player at the major leagues. That could be a part of the pie, the decision-making pie, so to speak. And really, in the last two years, it's exploded even more because there's sports technology now that allows you to measure athleticism. There's sports technology now that allows you to measure bat speed and things like that, reaction time, all sorts of stuff. And so Michael Elias uh, yesterday was talking about how they had had these uh, almost like pro days around the country, and they had a local pro day at Camden Yards uh, a few days ago. And so they had the TrackMan system set up at Camden Yards. They have bat sensors. They have all that so they can measure uh, those numbers for the guys that they're working out at their pro days. And so that, again, becomes a part of the decision-making pie. And that's not just for the number one pick. That could be for a 34th-round pick, too. Uh, if you know, someone comes to your local pro day from, I don't know, Mount St. Mary's, and it turns out that he's got big-time bat speed and, uh, you love his athleticism and things like that. Maybe you could pop him in the thirty-fourth round. That's that's a part of the uh, decision-making process now uh, that probably wasn't the case five, seven years ago with a lot of teams. Matt, before we let you go, uh, I mean, excuse me, Luke. Before we let you go, um, you did a great job on this story. Tell our listeners and the viewers on Facebook Live what's coming up in June's edition, and then uh, that's a two-month edition, and then August as far as covers go. So, readers of uh, Press Box might remember last year we did a uh, double issue about Ray Lewis going to the Hall of Fame. We are doing the same thing this year for Ed Reed. It'll be a pretty similar setup. I can't stress enough uh, the, the terrific job that Glenn Clark has done on this project. Yeah. Uh, he, he has put so much work into this, and, and it's going to show in the final product. And it, 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 I am looking forward to seeing the, the final product, how that's going to look. And, and I know that our readers are going to be really excited to read this because the stories that we're getting about Ed Reed are, are really terrific. It's stuff that I haven't heard before. And, and I, like I said, Glenn's just done a terrific job on this. So I'm excited to see, uh, for the final product to get out uh, later uh, this month. And then in August, we're hoping uh, as part of our um, college football preview, do something on Mike Loxley. So we'll, um, we'll see how that goes, but uh, definitely uh, look forward to the uh, Ed Reed stuff that we've got coming out in the uh, next issue. All we uh, got to do is get Glenn Clark to come to work next week. Yeah. 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 Boy, I, we didn't realize what was at risk you know, with him running that before, race today. Before he ran this race today, he, he, he did like a practice trial, little, you know, very short practice right, trial. Right, right. And all he did was talk about how bad his legs hurt. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, he'll be a little sore. He'll be a little sore. Hey, uh, many thanks for coming on, Luke. You did a great job on it. All right? All right. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. There he goes, Luke Jackson. 
Uh, we're going to be joined by Mark Zuckerman in just a couple minutes. We're going to call Mark just a couple minutes earlier uh-huh. so we can get a full Well, break he said he's in. ready. So. He's ready? He's ready. All right, so we can call him in two minutes or so. Um, your thoughts on uh, getting back to Joe Tressa, the last question I asked him about Chris Davis. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling right now about I wrote a column online for PressBoxOnline.com where I'm starting to see, and I think it's contingent, though, on DJ Stewart proving he's really ready to keep this job in the major leagues, that it might be tough to fit Chris Davis back in. Well, and this goes back to what Joe said in that, you know, I think if if DJ Stewart is here, they want to see as much of him as you can. Right. Which means Mancini plays first base. And I think that this hip injury – uh, is going to be prolonged, if you will. For yeah, there could be a rehab involved. Rehab with it. involved in it, and yeah. you know they they may milk this for all it's worth. I, so what I'm saying for the betterment of the Baltimore Orioles, I have nothing against Chris Davis. I've rooted for him to be the player he was when we signed him, but for the betterment of the ball club, I would really like to see them have to make the decision based not on ah, should we keep Chris or that. Wait a minute, we got a real roster dilemma here in right. what to do because DJ Stewart's proving he's and really And that's kind ready. of the way it should be determined. Yeah. yeah. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. Now, you know, and I think they're in the same boat with Mark Trumbo when and if he gets back. Yeah. I mean, what the do you do? The difference being that Mark is really a sunk cost in a way that they really, you know, if he plays another game for the Orioles, great. If he doesn't, he's gone at the end right. of the year. Anyhow, yeah. right. Yeah. With and Chris, it's a, a more expensive situation. It, it is, and then you, you're you're faced with the dilemma of do you eat the contract? Do you try to do something? I mean, obviously you can't trade him because nobody's right. going to take that deal. Right. So, uh, I, I, again, the Orioles have a decision to make there. I think, though, with the way Chris is makeup-wise and everything, I think they'll give him a, an opportunity to get back in the lineup. But again, I don't think it's a, a hurry, hurry thing right now. So if let's just suppose that Stewart is performing well, mm-hmm. and Davis, let's say, he goes on a ten-day rehab or something, and he's hitting the ball reasonably well, and they want to get him back in, they could go, they could drop one pitcher out of the bullpen, as Joe alluded to. Right. And the other thing is, it looks like now that Hanser Alberto, because of his work as a leadoff hitter has kind of stolen the starting third base job from Rio Ruiz for now, that would this club be significantly altered if they kept Davis and DFA'd Ruiz or tried to outright him or whatever? I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't I don't think so either. Yeah. You know, but All right. So again, there might be a way to, to keep him here. There, there's a way to keep him here, plus record-wise, uh, it's not that it makes any difference. Because in you know in the end, do the Orioles want to win baseball games? Yeah, they do. I mean, you want to win every time you go out there, but it's it's not paramount as opposed to seeing who's on this roster and seeing them play over a prolonged period of time. Right. Well, it's one thing. It's really interesting how things have flip flopped. Two and a half weeks ago. Two and a half weeks ago. Um, is that the number? This yeah. is the number. That's the number I gave him. All right. Let me see. Okay. Um, Two and a half weeks ago, it looked like perhaps Renato Nunez 
was going to sort of play his way off the team after an extended look the second half of last year and and playing the first 35, 38 games this year. Uh, all of a sudden, Renato Nunez was in a, a pretty deep funk, uh, but he has come out of that over the last 11 or 12 games. Excuse right? me. Yes, excuse me. Nobody said God bless you, though, or Gesundheit. Did you? Did you? God bless you. Griffin. Griffin said it. Craig Heiss could care less if anything happens to me. Well, if you quit making mistakes with phone numbers. Okay. What did I have? <laughs> another? Was I off a digit? Okay. All right. Eight and not zero. There right. you go. All right. All right. Uh, we will be joined momentarily. You, you never made it as a secretary either, no, did you? No, but I got to change that on my phone. I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. The worst was the- Well, it's fat. You know what? I have that problem, too. It's fat fingers is what it is. It's not working. It doesn't appear it's working any better. Yeah. Well, he's got to call it again. Yeah. Well, he called it and nothing happened. So. There we go. Now, he's getting a busy signal. Uh, don't know. Unless he's... Uh- don't know. Who knew that Who phone, knew? making phone calls was that difficult? Was that difficult? All right. Um, the Nats are facing off. What time is the Nat game tonight? 7.05 in Cincinnati? 7.05, yep. And, okay. uh, and that is, again, it's Eric Fetty going against Tanner Rower. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to that see. That is an interesting Interesting matchup. to see what kind of juice Tanner will have for this game tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Byron so. Kerr the other night on Mid-Atlantic Sports mm-hmm. Report was talking about how incredibly competitive he is. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. He, and and that's part of the reason why he's won 15 yeah. games twice in the major right. leagues. And, right. you know, he, he brings it. Uh, he, he competes. He battles. And, you know, he's not the most talented guy. But right. I'll tell but you what, when he's commanding. Got some bulldog in him. When he's got bulldog in him and when he's commanding his fastball, he's a pretty tough customer. All right. Speaking of tough customers who have a little bulldog in them, yeah, Mark Zuckerman is on with us from Masson. He covers the Nationals for Masson. Mark, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. It's kind of required a bulldog mentality to cover the team this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? I was thinking your son Brian probably keeps you on your toes more than you'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, <laughs> Seven-year-old running around the house now. Uh, his friends are coming over constantly, and they all want to go play in the basement. And uh, hopefully, you will not hear them while I'm on the phone with you guys. But if you do, you'll know what it is. By the way, we're talking from, with Mark Zuckerman, Masson Nationals beat writer, and we're broadcasting from the Live Casino Hotel Studios in beautiful downtown Hamden. Uh, Nationals win five out of six. They go to Cincinnati, including a nice two-game sweep in Atlanta. You think they might have taken the uh, taken the Reds a little lightly to start this series? I don't know if it's that. I just think Patrick Corbin came out the first inning and just didn't have it last night. Um, next thing you know, he's given up like seven hits, five runs, uh, and it probably just kind of sucked all the air out of the balloon. And now all of a sudden, they're they're thinking, oh boy, we have to try to scramble again. Uh, to come back, and that you know was too big a hole to to make up. Um, I, I don't think it's a matter I, at this point. These guys can't afford to take anybody too lightly. Right. Um, you know they felt good about themselves coming out of Atlanta. Um, I think they felt like, hey, here's a chance for us to really gain some momentum. But you know, Davey Martinez talks about it all the time, and and it does hold up 
to, to be true a lot of the times. If you score first, especially in the first inning, it just sets the tone for the whole night. And unfortunately, if you give up runs, and especially give up five runs, it sets the tone as well. And uh, this is a team that that does seem to matter um, psychologically. Are you playing ahead or are you playing from behind? Uh, and last night they were playing from way behind, and they just couldn't make it up. Well, we want to correct something we said earlier. It's a 4:10 start time at okay. the Great American Ballpark. Mark Tanner goes against his old team today. What do you think? You, you you can't tell me he's not looking forward to this start. Oh yeah, there's going to be some motivation uh, there. Now, I mean, you know, Tanner's good friends with a lot of the guys on the team. I know he was chatting with them uh, yesterday, and even ran into a bunch of them on the off day uh, Thursday. Now, that said, you know, I don't think whatever motivation he has, it's not against the players. It may be against the organization right. uh, for the uh, the way they treated him over the years. Um, he had a lot of success with them. He also had some ups and downs. Um, he also, quite frankly, was jerked around a lot over the years. He uh, remember the years, his first year as a full-time starter. I think he had like a 285 ERA. Next thing you know, he gets uh, sent to the bullpen because they had signed Scherzer and added another starting pitcher. And right. Ends up coming back to be a starter again, gets moved to the bullpen at some point, uh, wasn't used in that playoff series against the Cubs, that everyone kind of questioned that move. Uh, and then coming off, you know, admittedly a down season last year, um, gets shipped off to the Reds because essentially they just wanted to save a, a couple million dollars. They, they basically decided to trade Roark, who I think is making 9 or $10 million this year, uh, to then sign Annabelle Sanchez, who's making seven, I think, this year. So you're talking about a saving of a couple million dollars for the um, pair of right-handers that are sort of similar style pitchers. Obviously, Sanchez got off a terrible start this year before he yeah. finally had a great game the other night. And Atlanta, Roark has pitched well in Cincinnati. Um, he's definitely going to be motivated tonight. Now, can he harness that the right way? Um, you know, be effective or does it become too much uh you know and 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 now he's kind of trying to overdo it um when tanner's at his best is when he's relaxed he's letting his sinker work uh and and trying to induce weak contact so we'll see how he handles that tonight well last time out against the cubs five innings he struck out nine in a 10-2 win over chicago so but you look at what eric fetty's done he comes in one and oh a 2180 ra but the other part of that, though, Mark, is you take a look at those last two outings from him, and maybe the Nationals are finally starting to see a little bit out of Eric Fetty what they had hoped all along. Yeah, and that's why I think this is uh, no longer just a short-term thing. You know, remember he came into the rotation because of the injuries to Sanchez and to Jeremy Hellickson. Right. Uh, well, now Sanchez is back. Hellickson is still on the IL with a uh, shoulder strain, and honestly, I think even if he was ready to come back there's a strong argument that they would have kept uh, Fetty in the rotation anyway. So what he has shown them the last two starts has been what they've been wanting to see for a long time. Um, he still needs to be stretched out, uh, you know, to get up to 100 pitches again. I think he should get somewhere close to that tonight, maybe at least in the 90s, uh, which will be good. But I think it's time for them to find out once and for all, can this guy be uh, a big part of the rotation in the long term? The only way you can find out is to put him in there. Uh, he's pitched well enough to, to earn it. There may be a decision here at some point, uh, if and when Hallison is, is healthy again. But Hallison all along was a short-term, you know, one-year stopgap solution. Uh, even if he is healthy, I think they have to be thinking long-term here. 
Eric Fetty has been supposed to be a big part of this rotation since the day he was drafted. He's finally starting to show signs of it, so you've got to stick with that and now give him every opportunity to prove that he deserves to stay for a long time. We're talking with Mark Zuckerman. He's the Nats beat writer for MassinSports.com, and he joins us from Cincinnati, Ohio, where he's following the team. Ah, no. No, he's home. He's home. I'm home. Sorry, I'm not on this trip. That's good for you. Good for you. I don't like Byron's in Cincinnati. That's right. I don't like Cincinnati at all. (laughs) Never been there. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hey, uh, it's been probably, what, three and a half weeks since the the team changed pitching coaches. I know there was a lot of conjecture on my part and other members of the media, and I'm sure from some fans, that this was sort of the precursor they were going to do that and that Davey Martinez was on the hot seat uh, when they replaced Derek Lilliquist with Paul Menhart. Tell us a little bit about what you think drove that decision and has it really benefited the team? I, I think it's probably a little too early to say if it's benefited the team that much. Um, I do know that their Menhart is very hands-on, uh, working with them every day, not just on the technical stuff but on the mental side of the game as well. He likes to hold full uh, staff, um, I don't even want to call them meetings, they're almost more pump-up sessions out in the outfield before the start of a series, and he likes to kind of gather everyone together and sort of set the tone for the series. So he's been very well-received. He's a guy who's been in the organization for 14 years in a variety of capacities, so everybody already knew him. Um, You know, I think what it boiled down to was that Derek Lilliquist, although he had experience uh, and track record in St. Louis before coming here, um, was just not as hands-on, as vocal, uh, and while you would say maybe that's not a big deal for a, a team and a pitching staff that has the kind of talent that this one does, when you look up and you see that a staff that includes uh, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin, and it was ranking in the lower half of the league right. in ERA, and I'm talking about the rotation, not the not the entire staff counting the bullpen, but the rotation since Lilquist took over was in the bottom half of the league, Something's not working there. That should not happen with that kind of talent at the top of your rotation. So uh, I think they felt like a change was necessary. Um, you know, again, we'll see how it all plays out. I think Menhart has been received. Yes, I do believe that, you know, you make that move, and there's really only one other move you can make if things continue not to right. go well. Uh, and for a, a little period there, it looked really bad when they got swept in New York, and I think everyone was kind of on high alert at that point. Um, but that's when they started this nice, little mini winning streak, uh, and so I think we've all backed down a little bit from that. But, you know, of course there's pressure on Davey Martinez. If things spiral downhill, um, that's pretty much the only other move they yeah. they could make at this point. I don't think it's something that anybody wants to do, but if you get to a point that nothing else is working, uh, they may feel like they have to do that. For all of the things that have gone wrong the first two months of this season, the one thing that kind of stands out to me more than anything else is – the fact, well, there are two things. One, the bullpen ERA being over seven, seven one three or whatever it is, and the fact that this team is two and ten in Max Scherzer starts this year, and that to me is mind-boggling. And I don't even ever, I could never comprehend that happening. No, it is staggering, uh, and it's not because he's pitching poorly. Yeah. He, uh, you look at all the peripheral numbers. He's he's right there among the best in the league uh, again. It's been, number one, lack of run support. And, and the other night, 
when uh, they scored 14 runs uh, for Sanchez, I'm thinking, what is Max Scherzer thinking in the dugout <laughs> when, you know, it's probably been like six total starts that they've scored 14 runs for him across all of those. Uh, so number one, that. Number two, obviously, the bullpen has cost him some games. But number three, it's been defense. And this has been across the board. No matter who's pitching, this has been a problem. Uh, but his defense has let him down as well. Um, there have been innings he could have been out of, uh, innings that uh, maybe he could have gotten through in 15 pitches, and he ends up having to throw 25 or 30 because of it. Um, but the one thing about Max this year, maybe compared to previous ones, is that his pitch count has been high. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's, he's often coming out after six innings and not being able to get to the seventh, uh, even when his pitch count's up now over 100. So um, a lot of little things not happening behind him, I think, contribute to that. He's had a little trouble himself putting away guys uh, to the same, you know, extent, uh, you know, quick at bats that he, he maybe used to have. Um, but, I, you know, eventually I think that luck, just by pure basis of luck, that's going to change. Some of this is just dumb, bad luck. Um, he's pitching way too well for them to have that kind of record at this starts. He's frustrated by it. Everyone's frustrated by it. Um, but if they can just get some semblance of a competent bullpen, and if they can start playing better defense behind him, now that allows him to go one more inning and take some pressure off that bullpen so they don't have to go to as many of those uh, you know, shaky arms and say the seventh inning. Mark, one real quick question for you. Uh, had he not gotten hurt and the team been playing better and closer to first place, do you think Anthony Rendon would have been signed to an extension by now? You know, I don't know if that actually has, has made that much difference. Um, they've been talking throughout. There's, there's mutual interest on both sides. I don't think it's necessarily a reflection of how he has played or how much he's played this year, even how the team has done. It's just a difference of opinion on uh, how much they're willing to give him and how much he believes he deserves. You know, he wants money that makes him one of the highest-paid third basemen in baseball, and rightfully so. Uh, the Nationals, I think, look at the Nolan Arenado contract and say, boy, we can't really go that far with it. Um, I still think there's time for them to, to do it. I think, there, again, there is mutual interest just finding whatever that common ground is. But that said, if they get to July 31st, and if the team is not realistically in the race, they either have to sign him or they have to strongly consider trading him. They can't do what they did with Bryce Harper uh, last summer. They need to get uh, long-term pieces. You can always try to re-sign him in the winter, and Mm -hmm. I think there would still be a chance of that. But they cannot let this just play out over the last two months of the season and go into the offseason uncertain about it. Um, if, if they can't lock him up by the end of July uh, and they're not in the race, they need to get something in return for him because he's one of the, the pieces they have who can help them restock um, You know what is becoming a, a thinner farm system. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Mark Zuckerman has joined us in the live casino hotel studios. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right. Talk soon. Craig, uh, Live Casino Hotel Studios, i got to tell you again about the show that they've got coming up, and it's a good one. Live Casino Hotel has another great concert on the schedule. Get tickets now to see Boz Skaggs out of the Blue Tour on Friday, June 28th. Tickets start at $45, include $10 in free slots play. Go to livecasinohotel.com now to get your tickets. And, uh we have some friends we want to tell people about. That's right. And those are the friends over at the Costas Inn on 4100 North Point Boulevard over in Dundalk. Great specials on the menu each and every day. Crab cake night on Monday night. 
Ribs night on Tuesday. Wednesday night is steak night. That's it's your favorite. My favorite. Exactly. And Jane's favorite is, is lobster night. Lobster night. And, uh, That's but, Thursday. But Friday, Saturday, Sunday, any day of the week, there are at least four to five specials on the menu that you can take advantage of and uh, like and just sit down, have a great time with your family. And it, because the Triantopoulos family treats you like their family when you go in. The atmosphere at the Costas Inn, second to none. Live entertainment throughout the buy, week. Will they buy you like a family would buy me a new car? Would they buy you a new car at the Costas Inn? Not a car. An occasional meal, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, great uh, specials throughout the week. Uh, entertainment, live entertainment, jazz night on Wednesday night, rock and roll Saturday, Sunday. It's all there for you at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. And if you're having crabs, there's no place better than the Costas Inn to have them, but you do need to make your reservation for crabs, 410-477-1975. Call up and ask for Pete or Nick at the Costas Inn. Listen up, moms and dads. All season long at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, kids cheer free. For each regularly priced Upper Deck ticket, adults can get up to two additional tickets for kids ages 9 and under absolutely free. Oriole Park is the perfect place with fun for the whole family. Plus, enjoy smaller portion, budget-friendly concessions perfect for youngsters. And don't forget, you can pack your own picnic and bring it to the park. Kids ages 9 and under are free all season long. Be part of Orioles baseball. Visit Orioles.com slash kids free to learn more. Baltimore's favorite bar is just 771 feet from home play to Camden Yards. Sliders Bar and Grill, just steps from Camden Yards, is the perfect sports bar for baseball season. Daily specials include Mexican Monday, Wing Ding Wednesday, Bloody Brunch Sunday, and more with different drink specials every day of the week. You can also book your private parties at Sliders with great spaces upstairs and on the outdoor patio overlooking Camden Yards. See every Orioles game on dozens of TVs and stop by before or after home games sliders baltimore's neighborhood sports bar see them at slidersbaltimore.com and be sure to visit sliders today one third of crash fatalities in maryland are due to impaired driving don't be a statistic be legendary what does it mean to be legendary it means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one never drinking then getting behind the wheel making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver remember sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Luke Jackson dives into the options the Orioles have with the number one pick in the MLB draft and the significance of them picking number one for just the second time ever as they're in the throes of a rebuild. Plus, Bo Smolka looks into the Oklahoma connections developing for the Ravens after using two of their first five picks on former Sooners for the second year in a row. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Oh. Or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. Well, I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days Pros. Mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection. Or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. All right, we are back. We've not made our contact yet, have we? Okay. All right. Mike Shallon is going to join us in just a minute. Well, we can't blame him because we were kind of running our mouths to him. So, well, too. we were running our mouths to him, but he he got lost in the weeds. You know, mm-hmm. oh, that's I what happens when you're a young guy. Yeah. You know, you get lost the in the weeds. The, birds and the bees. Birds and the bees and the weeds. In the weeds. <laughs> put you in the put you in the weeds. <laughs> My favorite line I ever heard about that was a friend of mine is a friend of my cousin Stewart's. His, he was going away to college, and his advice his father gave him is, son, I just want to give you one bit of advice. Don't let your little head rule your big head. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. All right, joining us right now. Unless they're one of the same. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Joining us right now is uh, Mike Shallon. He's columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader, and he's also an official scorer um, with the Boston Red Sox. And... He's part of the team uh, uh, that has the hometown team book out yeah. in Boston. That's you and is it? Uh, I know it's Babino. What's Babino's first name? I forget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's Steve. Steve Babino. All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that book uh, seems like it's really got legs out there. You're doing a book signing all the time at a post office, a POW place. You know. Not a POW, a, um, um, you know, you know, motor vehicles, motor, motor vehicle administration, everything. Yeah. Hey, I'm having, I'm having trouble hearing you guys. Yeah, okay. and, and uh, we're a little bit low on our end too. But uh, how's that's that? A little Any better. better? That's a little better. Is that better? That's a little better. All right. That's a little better. Yeah. All right. Better. Yeah. Better yet. All right. That's much better. There we go. Bingo. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mike Shallon joins us right now. Mike, one of the reasons I wanted. Um, to have you on this week, uh, I don't do a daily show, so I wanted to have you on as soon as possible. Was to talk about the passing of uh, someone you knew pretty well in covering him, and I think you grew to respect him as a person. Uh, Bill Buckner, who passed away from uh, Louis body dementia. Yeah, it was um, it was a stunner. You know, um, sixty nine, as we know, is is way too young. Um, Especially when you think of you think of athletes, you know, you just think of 
stronger than the average person. And uh, for something like this to attack his body, somebody said it's the same thing that Robin Williams had. Um, That's I've heard yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's just uh, you know, I, I watched this guy. You know, he drove in two of his three best RBI seasons were with, with the Red Sox, '85 and '86, and he'd walk into the clubhouse after a game, and he'd be sitting there with his with his feet in two buckets of ice for about an hour. And it was both feet, right? Both feet. Um, you know, just. Uh, he was, listen, he was a warrior. There's no question about it. And I guess it was an infection that, that got him early in his career, uh, took away his speed. Both he and Bobby Valentine were considered those um, five-tool types who could run, could do everything. And Bobby uh, messed up his leg on a crashing into a wall, I guess. And and, um, and with Bill, it was an infection. He just um, he just came to play baseball and... and Unfortunately, he, you know, he went into history as, uh, you know, Ralph Franca and Mitch Williams and, and anybody who's ever made made a, a, a mistake at the wrong time. Um, you know, it, it, the, the, the weird thing about it is that I was, I was there. Uh, my job was, uh, we had so many people from the Herald cover, and my job was next sidebar, so two outs and nobody on. I went down. I went downstairs, and I'm standing outside the Mets clubhouse with probably a hundred other people. Right. I uh, never saw the thing. Uh, never saw the whole inning until about eight years later when Sports Channel played it, um, and uh, it was just um, it was just bizarre. You know, you, you saw the Mets coming off the field. You really had no idea what happened, uh, but what had happened was um, was a, a historic play, which which at the time, you know, with all his winning. You know, the, the young kids around here don't understand that Boston didn't used to have a duck boat parade every three weeks. Right, you know? and, right. And, and that just extended the pain around here. Um, you know, it was just, it just uh, the, the whole the whole thing was unfortunate. Then what happened after when they welcomed Billy back and, and uh, actually came back and played briefly for the Red Sox. And, and ironically, his last home run in the major leagues was an inside-the-park home run at Fenway Park when Claudel Washington fell into the front row of the stands in right field, and his his buckner scampering around the bases on his bad wheels, and it was um, it was just kind of a kind of a fitting cap to uh, to a most bizarre story. I wanted to talk about that for a minute. You know, I I refresh my memory because Brandon Hyde, uh, who knew Billy Buckner pretty well in Chicago, uh, when he worked in that organization, and Brandon Hyde alluded to the fact. By the way, I printed up a copy of your piece and gave it to him the other day, and he oh. was very appreciative of that. Uh, but he he had to be the guy to tell Billy Buckner that the organization was going, you know, no facial hair. So he had to tell Buckner uh, that he was he had to shave his mustache off. He said it was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. But he had he didn't remember about the ankle problems. Uh so I told him about that, but in reading about him, I had totally forgotten because he had been so vilified in Boston that he did come back briefly in 1990 and was welcomed back very passionately by the crowd, right? Yes, it, it was. And then um, in several visits after that, um, he came out, uh, I think it was 2008, 
they, they were they were raising the flag and, and the, the championship banner. Uh, they had a they had a big American flag over the left field wall, and he came walking through the flag, came out right. the door, and um, I think he threw out the first pitch. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, I think I think people realize that you know everybody makes mistakes, I guess, yeah. and it wasn't you know it wasn't like he killed somebody, and and uh, and they you know they were forgiving, and I think that um, two thousand four. Probably was the final um, the final piece of forgiveness because right. they finally did win right. and uh, and have been um, have been winning ever since. So, Mike, yeah, Mike. It's, it's just it, it's just a tragic thing, and, and and the fact that he did have to move out of Boston, Boston area. I know he liked it here. Um, I know he could he probably killed him, and he had to shave off the mustache because he and I <laughs> had very similar mustaches. Yep. We also had very similar, very thick eyebrows, so um, we. Mm-hmm. He, used to, he used to call me brown man, so we used to have a little fun with that, too. Mike, 2,715 hits over 22 years, and there's been a lot of people since his death, I have heard, raise the Hall of Fame question. Mm-hmm. To, to me, I think he's very borderline. What do you think? Well, I think he falls into that category with people like Vader Pinson, who had, who had mm-hmm. that many hits. and um, You know, I, I think I, I think Buck doesn't pass the the eye test, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I I tend to go less on numbers. But the ironic thing is that had he not had the injuries and had he played a little bit longer and gotten two hundred plus more hits, he would have been automatic. Right at the yeah. time, three thousand was automatic. Um, you know, I mean, Craig Biggio was in. I think Buck was as good a player as Craig Biggio. Um, but then again, I didn't vote for Craig Biggio, so. Um, yeah, I would say I would say a. I don't think he was a star. I think he was a very good player for a long time. Um, hung on probably too long. Yeah. Uh, but um, you know, and you know, people forget too that he had to play left field in in uh, in Los Angeles too. And uh, you know, I don't I don't recall people thinking of him as a butcher in left field. So, and he was a very good first baseman. Yeah, somebody somebody brought out sent me a note the other day that that it's it's no coincidence that Wade Boggs began became a better third baseman when Bill Buckner became his first baseman. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's there's probably something to that. He was excellent digging out throws. He knew where to be. You know, he made he he made one mistake, and that's you know that will go with him. You know, I, I thought it was it was kind of cool that some of the leads and uh, you know. On the internet, where you know Bill Buckner, comma whose whose error, you know, may have cost the Red Sox in 1986. Well, that that was kind of unfortunate. I do understand it because he is that that is what he's most famous or infamous for. Um, but you know, that's that's unfortunate. We're talking with Mike Shallon. His column, The Working Press, appears uh, each week uh, in the uh, New Hampshire Union Leader. And uh, I'm sure on their website, three times a week, three, three times, times a week, week, three times a week. And how that did, guy. how did that job go at Forbes? <laughs> well, it was, it was it was brief. It was you brief. Know, um, <laughs> I, I got there, they gave me a cubicle, and then they took it right away, which yeah. I thought was kind of uh, that's be, mean. But uh, that's because they found out Stan the fan mentioned you were working there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they found they, out they, the didn't want leak, they didn't want it leaked because they had a big press conference planned. Right, right. And they they got all upset when uh, when Stan leaked it. So 
Mike and I will be Mike and I will forever be linked in probably the one of the I mean, I can't say it's the most embarrassing thing I've ever done on the air, but it's pretty darn close. Uh, Mike, yeah, that's the most, that's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done. You can you can you can go with pride. <laughs> yeah, he, he's okay on that. Yeah. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. I'd be remiss if I didn't get some talk on in the current Red Sox situation. You guys, um, not you guys. I know you're not part of the team. Four and six over the last ten. While the Yankees and the the uh, Rays have both gone eight and two, you're eight and a half games behind the Yankees, seven games behind the uh, Tampa Bay Rays for the number one wild card spot, and now you it really appears that the Red Sox may be in a dogfight with uh, of all teams the Texas Rangers, the Oakland A's, the Los Angeles Angels, the Indians, and the White Sox for that second wild card spot. Um, has this been a botched job a little bit by Dave Dombrowski? Well, the people who, who support what he's done have, have point to the fact that the bullpen has not been the big has not been a bigger problem as people anticipated. I disagree. I think that you, I still think in this day of these wacky analytics that you need you need a closer, and they don't have yeah. one. Uh, it bit them. It bit them the other day against Cleveland, when they literally ran out of pitchers uh, and had to pitch uh, Travis Lakins, um, who you know came in and walked the ballpark in a tie game. But um, I think that that management uh, ownership probably had something to do with it mm-hmm. with that luxury tax thing. Don't don't go out and spend. I would not have. I would not have given Joe Kelly a lot of money, and that's proven. That's proving out pretty. Right. You know, that was a smart decision because people forget that until the end of last year, Kelly had a miserable time in Boston. Right. Uh, Kimball, you know, he showed signs of uh, faltering. I think he was a perfect uh, seven or seven or six or six in the playoffs, but it, it was very misleading. Took some diving catches and catches against the wall and stuff like that. And uh, you know, the guy wanted a hundred million dollars for six years. They made a decision not to do it. You know, uh, I don't blame them for that. Uh, I don't know if they went after Adovino, but watching him pitch for the Yankees now, I think he's got 15 straight scoreless appearances. Yeah. I got to think that he would have developed into the into the guy in Boston. But other than that, it's the same team. You know, it's the same team with the addition of Michael Chavis, who's been great. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and and a catcher in Vasquez has suddenly become a 300 hit. Um. You know, they've lived through another Jackie Bradley downslide. Um, Boy, those are something. Uh, which, is, which is, you know, you can pencil that in once a year. It's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, but last night, uh, Eduardo Nunez got himself picked off second base with first and second and two outs. Sanchez picked him off second base. So you can't make plays like that. But, you know, what it does, I think, more than anything is it illustrates how difficult it is to to repeat. It hasn't been done since 2000. There's a reason for it. Uh, your pitchers are asked to do um, extra work in the playoffs in the World Series, and the season runs longer. They made a decision to baby their pitchers in spring training. And um, it didn't pay well, off. Here we are on yeah. June 1st, and Chris Sale's 1 and 7, and Andrew Kashner's 6 and 2. So go, go ahead and uh, take that to Vegas yeah. before the season starts. Uh, it's amazing what you say about the bullpen. The bullpen. Not as bad as you thought, uh, even without a closer. And here you look at the Nationals; they have a closer and a pretty good one in Sean Doolittle. But their mm-hmm. their their bullpen ERA is is seven one five or whatever. 
Well, what's the what's the record with Scherzer on the mound? Hey, it's two, two, and, ten, two, two and, and ten. ten. Yeah, two and ten. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's just the one thing we've learned about baseball more than any other sport is when you go into the season, you really you don't know what you're going to get, and and uh, I mean, we could predict that the Orioles and the Marlins were going to have a tough time, and that you didn't you have to be a genius to come up with that. But when you look at you know every year. Uh, you expect Oakland to be down, and then all of a sudden they're down, and then they're back up. And the, the thing with the Twins, I saw the thing with the Twins coming. I didn't mm-hmm. think they'd be double digits ahead. But, you know, I defy anybody. You talk about bad jobs during the offseason. Uh, the Indians don't have an outfield. Yeah. You, know, they, they, you, you, can, you can ask the average baseball fan to name the three Cleveland, or name any three Cleveland outfielders, and they would be tough unless they're in a fantasy league with some of those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was a, um, as, as Mad Dog Russo would say, that was a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we let you go, it's not sad the way Bill Buckner passed, but we're, we're about, it looks very close to the passing of a baseball player's career. And that's one of the guys I most admired and enjoyed watching play, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, yeah. It really seems like it's stumbling to the end. Well, it does. You know, um, he's the kind of guy you never want to write off. But um, you know, he's been dealing with this really. You know, he came up and he was uh, rookie of the year and then MVP, and uh, seemingly on his way to a Hall of Fame career. And then he started having problems with his wrist, uh, yeah. which kind of took away his power. Um, you know, he's never really been the same guy, um, but he's, you know, it's him and Bobby Doerr as far as the best second baseman in Red Sox history, no question about that. But it does seem like, um, you know, like he's a boxer trying to trying to hang on, you know, because he's, he's really, he's, I think he's 35 now, but he um, he doesn't want to give up, but you, you've got the feeling with these latest comments that he's pretty much resigned to, um, to this yeah. being the end. And he, what bothers me too, is that people on social media have kind of gotten mad at him. You know, right, like, right. like why are you taking our money? Like it's their money. You know? right, and right. The fact of the matter is if, if he can't play anymore, he's, he's got $40 million coming. I'm reasonably sure that much of it is going to be covered by insurance. Yeah. Just like the uh, Jacoby Ellsbury money in New York. And you know, Let's let's let the guy go out with a little bit of dignity, and um, I think in the long run, most of the fans around here will realize that. What, what's next for Dustin Pedroia? Do you think he goes to the broadcast booth? Uh, is there room for him there? Do you think he gets into the coaching side of things? What do you say, or he just? I can I can see him staying in the game. He's yeah. never been he's never been totally comfortable uh, with the media, but then again, there's a lot of guys who've been that way who've gone on to. The broadcasting careers, I, I give you uh, one, you know, Sterling Sharp and people like that who were who were hostile toward the media and wound up being in the media. But uh, I think he's going to be in the game. I think he's a, I think he's what we call, you know, what you call in basketball a gym rat. Yep. And uh, obviously he's not going to be in it for the money because he's okay there. That's the difference now between yep. players now and players in, in our day, Stan, is that they – they're all well, you know, taken care of financially. They don't need the money, but uh, they do wind up. Um, uh, you know, I, I can see him being a starting as a roving roving instructor with the Red Sox, mm-hmm. perhaps, and then uh, 
and then taking it from there. But I would be very surprised if he got out of the game. That would be my choice for him because there were always two guys in this American League East that if I were going to start a team and want that kind of character guy, mm -hmm. Pedroia was one. Brett Gardner of the Yankees was the Brett other. Gardner, yeah. Brett, both of those guys, Mike, are just the biggest. You love to play with them. You love to play, to play with them. You hate to play against them because they're the biggest pest in the world. Yeah. Yeah, they just live, live, live like little gnats. You can't get rid of them. Yep. You know? yep. Now, Dustin, the, you know, obviously you're talking about two different caliber players here. Sure. But I understand exactly what you're saying. Yep. And, um, you know, Dustin just, uh, it was injury upon injury. And, uh, um, you know, he won two world championships. I saw somebody refer the other day to three, which it's really hard to to count him among <clears throat> last year's team because he only played in three games. But he was still in the dugout. He was part of it. And um, yeah, he uh, he had he had you know, and plus he was playing in the perfect ballpark for him too. For for a little guy with right-handed power, he was perfect for Fenway and. and uh, it just didn't play out. But that said, it played out a lot better than it did for a lot of other guys who, who weren't given the, the chance to do as much as he did. Mike, uh, always appreciate the time. Uh, stay, well, stay well. Anytime and I, keep, keep I, I got fourths four on the line. They heard I was available, so I'm going to... Uh, <laughs> well, they were watching this show. That's the deal. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So we, we did what? We took away his cubicle? Right. Yeah, they weren't happy with that. Uh, keep... Uh, <laughs> Keep plugging and keep selling that hometown team. I'll try. You're helping me. All right, Thanks, buddy. Man. Talk to you soon. You. There he goes, Mike Shallon of uh, the New Hampshire Union Leader. Hey, stop by Sliders, Baltimore's favorite local sports bar. You can stop by before the game today or after the game to watch all the big games, enjoy a fancy, clancy beer, and their daily food special. Sliders is located just 771 feet from home plate across from Camden Yards. And Sliders is a proud sponsor of the Ross Grimsley Show, live every Tuesday morning in the 9 a.m. hour and available throughout the week at PressBoxOnline.com. And much like... Slash Ross Grimsley Show. I'm sorry. And much like the warehouse, no one has ever hit the front of the bricks at Sliders. I'll bet a few people have hit it. Stumbling well, yeah, around there after drinking. <laughs> All right. We're going to take our last time out. We remind you, we've been broadcasting for the last two hours from the live casino hotel studio in beautiful downtown Hamden. This is Ross Grimsley with a reminder to all my baseball friends out there that I'm now part of the Press Box podcast team. Catch my take on the O's and whatever's going on in this great game of baseball. We'll also touch base with some of my old friends and teammates. Tune in every Tuesday morning or listen anytime at PressBoxOnline.com slash Ross Grimsley Show. I like world-famous chicken. You like world-famous chicken. We all like Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Why? Because Royal Farms world-famous chicken's always fresh, never frozen. Because it's hand-dipped in a secret recipe of herbs and spices. Because it's cooked on the spot, right in the store. And because it's the juiciest, best-tasting chicken on the planet. That's why everyone likes Royal Farms world-famous chicken. Western fries, too. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Respect. It's more than a word. 
In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done. But the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players. And I think we won 40-some <laughs> games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. The latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Luke Jackson dives into the options the Orioles have with the number one pick in the MLB draft and the significance of them picking number one for just the second time ever as they're in the throes of a rebuild. Plus, Bo Smolka looks into the Oklahoma connections developing for the Ravens after using two of their first five picks on former Sooners for the second year in a row. Press Box is available for free at over five area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com The Glory Days Grill to Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go on your way to soccer practice or to the office or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. As the weather heats up, the menu at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square cools down. Introducing the all-new Frosted Key Lime, a fun twist on one of America's favorite pies. The new treat is a hands fun combination of Chick-fil-A's signature ice dream, Chick-fil-A lemonade, and natural sugar-free lime flavoring made from a blend of key limes, coffer limes, and Persian limes. Frosted Key Lime gets its green color from a mix of nutrient-rich ingredients. Download the Chick-fil-A app today, place your order, and get points towards free stuff at our Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square. Plus, if you order using your app, your food will be ready when you get there. Stop by Chick-fil-A in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center at 5198 Campbell Boulevard and tell Steve we sent you all right we are back with the uh final portion of today's program one yes, thing sir, we Mr. forgot Rush. to mention today now today is uh june the first correct but a couple of days ago was the anniversary of cal ripken playing his first game as part of a against streak the toronto blue against jays the toronto blue jays and uh that, Jim Gott was the starting pitcher. Exactly. He hit the home runoff, Gott. And, uh, and his son's Trevor Gott. Yes. Yeah. Is he with the Giants organization uh, yeah. now? He's I believe not, he is. Is he in the major leagues? He I was earlier in the don't year. know. Yeah. But anyway, that game started a consecutive game streak of 2,632 games. Wow. Is that the record? And that's the record. And that will be and continue to be the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He kind of blew past no, by that Garrett guy. That, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what? I'll never forget the night that that came to an end. Yeah. September the 20th of 1998. It was a Sunday. It was Sunday, a Sunday night game. ESPN was in the booth. 
and uh, John Maroon, we were all up in the press lounge right. eating, and then John Maroon said, attention media, there's been a change in the Orioles lineup. Ryan Miner will start at third base tonight. Right, right. And you never saw so many people scramble in your life. Now, the Ravens played a home game that day. I remember attending that game mm-hmm. and was not going to go to that game until I heard late, like, 4.30, quarter to 5, that Ripken, it was going to be Ripken wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. So I went out to the ballpark. Yeah. So. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. How old were you in 1982? In 82? Well, when he started the streak, right? Oh, the streak started in 82, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, May of 82. So I was yeah, 30 years so old. 67 now. 20... 37 so, years ago. Yeah, 37 years ago. Whew, boy. That means Cal is close to 60. Yeah. He's like 58, 59 years old. Right. Wow. Un- absolutely unbelievable. And, and, and 2130 and 2131 are the two most remarkable nights, and I've covered... Several All-Star games, you know, been to 17 Super Bowls, a couple of NBA uh, All-Star games, right. things of that nature, playoffs, nothing compares to those two nights. Yeah, they're pretty special nights, yeah. pretty special nights. All right, uh, you've got, uh, you're covering the uh, Giants and the Orioles Giants today. Giants and the Orioles today and tomorrow? All right, I will not be in the press box today, I'll be there tomorrow. But I, it turns out I may end up at the game with someone, but uh, I'm not going to be in the – Does in Jane the, know? Jane does know. Okay. In fact, uh, <laughs> came from her. I, I kind of really – I just can't even start trouble. I, I, I kind of <laughs> wanted to uh, – how's that cat of yours doing? Oh, great. Finally landed. <laughs> yeah, from, the, from the tornado. <laughs> That's right. My wife – I got to tell this story quickly. Yeah. My wife was out of, out of the country for two weeks. And a pleasure trip a, a, away from a, you. A pleasure trip weeks. away from me. Well, you're kind of coincided, I guess. <laughs> and she sends me. I, I don't hear from her for like five days, and then right. all of a sudden she hears or sees online that Howard County had a couple of tornadoes. And right. she, she writes. She texts me. She says, "Oh my God, tornadoes! Everybody all right?" Right. And it, you know, I didn't respond right away, but after I had a couple of minutes to think about it, I said, "Yeah, everybody's fine, but boy does that cat spin really well in the air." <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> what did she say? Did she respond? Uh, yeah, I got one of those really mm-hmm. mad little uh, emoji. emojis, yeah. right? Right. Cat's okay. Red, red face. There was not a cat killed in the making of this story. Well, there could have been <laughs> because I had to take care of it for 2 weeks. When's she coming back? She's back. Oh, she's Came back. home last night. Oh, very nice. Man. Um, what's going on, by the way, before we get out of here? What, what's the latest with the Wizards and their director of basketball? Well, operation? they're still searching. Uh, they had so a, Shepard's not going to get the job? Shepard's not going to get the job as far as we know, unless something drastically changes. And you would think that they have to kind of make a decision on this sometime soon because of, of the draft up. coming yeah. up. Yeah, and uh, – uh, you know, again, luck being what it is for the Wizards down through the years, yeah. the ping pong balls didn't fall their way, no. and they've got the ninth. Exactly pack. where I expected exactly. them to go. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and as luck would have it, they got the one. The one number one pick they got was when Michael Jordan, who was proven to be every bit as good a basketball man as Derek Jeter is a baseball man. Well, to uh, this point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what was the name of the kid he picked that never met? Uh, oh, Brown? Yeah. Kwame Brown? Oh, Kwame. Kwame Brown was with the, yeah. Was that the number one pick? He was like 17 years old or yeah, something? Yeah, like, Yeah. He was. 
He's probably 31 years old now and very wealthy. Well, but he his NBA career was not was, much. No, that's, that's my point. Uh, anyway, all right, we're going to get out of here. Many thanks to Griffin Bass. Many thanks to Brett Blum, who's over in the other room, doing a little bit more social media with the show while we've got interns around. And I was able to, I was able to interla- interact with a few different people on, uh, on yep. the site today. I was remiss the whole show. I didn't mention the sh- liking and sharing part, and we already had seven. I think if we'd mentioned it today, well, you are the all host. of us. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm, okay. And I forgot to mention <laughs> that we're from the Live Casino Hotel studio. Yeah, but you've well. more than made up for that in the last hour. I have? Hour. Okay. Yeah, I good. think so. All right. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Uh, Glenn Clark, uh, we'll try and, he'll <laughs> we'll try try and to be, be here Monday, Monday morning, morning at 10 to 12 with Kyle. Now, I'm, if you were a betting man. I bet he'll be here. Okay. I bet he'll be sore as hell uh-huh. tomorrow. I think uh, what Glenn should do is just come in, sit where you sit, because that's where he does for right, the show, right. and just like put a couple of crutches up in the corner. <laughs> I think he should have a cot in here yeah. to do the show laying down. Uh, you remember when I did the show laying down? You no. Didn't rem- you didn't know me back then, 1990, when I had my back surgery and got an infection. I did the show. They set me up at home back then at WCAO. They set me up. And I broadcast laying horizontal on a, um, uh, what are they called? A, uh, not a bed. What are those foldable beds called? Uh, futon? Futon. Yeah. Yeah, I had a futon in my living room, and I did the show from the futon. Okay. All right. That does uh, wrap Thank God us for up. no Facebook Live right back, back then. then. <laughs> There's no question about that. That would have been an ugly scene. Thanks, Craig. Uh, See ya. We'll, we'll talk to you uh, next week, same time, same station. Bye.